0: Welcome to long distance listening a music podcast hello and welcome to long distance listening i'm andrew and i'm nate aka grindball welcome back or welcome for the first time we know that this episode in general is probably going to bring in a billion more people than we ever <laughs> have listening Um, We're going to have
1: at least a fifth of the world listening to this podcast. I would say at least. (laughs) Yep. This is a portion of our podcast where we just like ramble and introduce ourselves and have absolutely no point at all to them. We call it mic check and we're just checking our mics and uh, they seem to be working. So Mm -hmm. I think we're I think we're ready. I think we're about ready.
0: Welcome to this podcast specifically. If you haven't listened to any of our other podcasts, you won't know our format or anything. But for those of you who have listened to the podcasts before, we are changing our format slightly. We have a special guest coming. It's Kevin. He is the front man and founder of the band Valley Heart. And we're going to talk with him through the album. We're going to pick his brain on why he wrote what he did and, and just everything around that album. And we're super excited. I don't know if I've ever been as excited for a podcast as I am for this one I think it's going to be really good Kevin's just a good friend and and we're excited to have him so definitely stick around for the whole thing also check out their newest album everyone I've ever loved and all the different places that you listen to music check it out before we even get into the album so you can kind of be able to follow us a little bit better throughout our album listening party Nate and I have listened to Kevin's music as a lot of these listening parties just ourselves over the years Nate has grown up with Kevin and been best friends with him for a long time so we've listened to his solo stuff his metal stuff and now his Valley Heart stuff and we always listen in person we make sure it's a thing that we do when Nate's around Nate lives in Boston I live near Philadelphia and so between the two of us when we're together we make sure that we listen to whatever Kevin's put out most recently <laughs> yep if you haven't Listen to any of our podcasts before we just kind of talk about music we have a couple different segments we'll be in and out of throughout the show and the main one is going to be our album listening party we're going to listen through the full album every song song by song talk with kevin about it and just see what happens
1: so we're very excited and hope you enjoy the ride Well, we would like to welcome Kevin Klein of Valley Heart. He sings and plays guitar and writes a lot of their music. Welcome, Kevin. Hello. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm sure you feel very privileged <laughs> to be. I do. This I really do. It's a prestigious uh, podcast. We've really been groundbreaking in a lot of different areas and congratulations for making it. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so, Kevin and I are longtime friends. Kevin, do you want to just like, we can kind of piece together a story of how we know each other?
2: Oh, long time buds, man. We were friends before we knew we were friends. Yeah. That's the word. No, part. we were, we were enemies before we knew we were friends. <laughs> yes. <that's> a- <laughs> uh, we also found out in high school and study all that our middle school basketball teams played each other. And we had no knowledge or recollection of the fact until we kind of came together to this conclusion freshman year study hall and realized that our, our teams not only play, played each other but they were also rivals and like had Great this rivals. like crazy very intense rivals and uh, had this crazy championship game where your team won in very dramatic fashion on the buzzer and you made the winning point and i remember like driving home that night and being very upset and sad and thinking wow number 23 <laughs> that kid sucks <laughs> and then i asked you what your number was and you said oh my number was 23 was it 23 yeah yeah 23 See, i will never forget that and forever hate that number <laughs>
1: So his school name was Eagle Heights and we used to call them Evil Heights. <laughs> and then our, our school name was Abundant Life. And I don't know if you used to call us this or if you just came up with it, but they Abundant called us death. Abundant Death. <laughs> so there's just a lot of tension. Oh, you know, so. a, lot
2: of, a lot of friendliness, a lot of brotherly sportsmanship <laughs> happening.
1: But what's funny is that animosity and hatred for one another was actually what totally jump started our friendship and way that was very uh helpful we channeled that hatred into love so we did and then yeah just like in high school like we'd talk a ton about music kevin was my classic like oh if i find out about a new band like i tell kevin and he tells me i honestly can't count the number of bands kevin's gotten to and it's been really what's the coolest part for me is just to see how now even though we've there's been gaps where we wouldn't talk as much and recently, over the past few years, we've gotten really close again. But how similar our music taste is still, despite having that gap, because I think of the foundation of our loves for music and how just say naturally grew and evolved. I think it's cool that we can still today, and this is very similar for me and Andrew, and I'm assuming if I'm a good mathematician, you and Andrew probably have a lot of similar tastes. Right. Um, Because of that, so that's really neat for me. Yeah, totally. So, Kevin, just to get quickly into your history as a musician, uh, not that your love for music started here, but you were in a band called Exiting the Fall. Do you want to talk about, just briefly, the timeline from how you got from Exiting the Fall to where you are now with Valley Heart? Yeah, Exiting
2: the Fall. Wow, yeah. Seems like a lifetime ago, but, uh, I mean, it was a band that, my high school mates and friends and I started when I was 14 and they were 16. So it was like, it started off as like, a really kind of like funny just like not great you know like hardcore band and i think it evolved eventually to something that was like more serious and we you know we did some tours um and we released an album that we recorded with someone who was you know making good heavy records and that was respected so it definitely evolved this like kind of like local band thing to something that i think we stood behind in like our late teens early 20s but started that pretty young. Yeah, it started off as just like strict metalcore. And then as we started getting into some other influences, I think the sound started evolving into more of a like melodic thing with bands like As Cities Burn, a lot of post-rock influence that a lot of us were getting into at the time. up until our last release, like having a lot of just like ambient and textural influences in that music. So with that in mind, that band just came to a natural end in my early 20s. And I started writing solo music because I kept doing music and some of the guys stopped kind of doing music and some of the guys continued to do so. I kept writing music, started writing solo music and decided to kind of take some of that solo music and develop a group, a band and that's when Valley Heart started in 2016 and we played our first show in February 2016 which was two years and a half ago now and we released an EP that March played some shows, did a tour then we got connected with Rise and the following year we re-released that EP with two new songs, which were actually two old solo songs. And then, yeah, here we are now about to release a record.
1: That's awesome, man. So with that evolution and growth, we're going to transition into our section called Chime In, talking about concerts. Mm. And I'm sure... Each uh, group you've been in, there's been uh, different vibes at different shows and different cultures among different uh, sections of music listeners and fans and stuff. What's your favorite part over the years of playing live shows when it comes to the fans specifically? Yeah, I think
2: this is something that was really prevalent when we played heavier music, but it still relates today. It's just, there's a very dynamic relationship, I think, on stage in in how the crowd is vibing holistically. I think with hardcore, it was just a bit more expressive. So like if if people were digging it, they would literally be moving. So it was way easier to kind of visualize it. And that would in turn, like really, you know, get the energy on stage moving. I think with Valley Heart in most music, it's a bit different because people aren't really moving that much, But there's definitely a sensitivity now where like I can tell when people are really vibing. And when there is that sense, it's it's a really cool thing because it's an energy that you feel like you're connecting with people. You know, you look out and you see total strangers and uh, there's this sense of, wow, like they're relating to what's happening here right now. And it's just a moment that's bigger than like your band or bigger than their story. I don't know. I think that's one of my favorite parts about live shows
1: so from a non-musician as myself i just expect it to be easy to pull off a live show just because it's like oh they i mean they made the album so they know how to make the music and andrew you can answer this question too as someone who's played in, in bands before like for you guys what's the most difficult part about pulling off a tight and well orchestrated show Versus just like throwing poop up against the wall and just like hoping it sounds good enough.
2: I think there are a lot of layers to that question. I think there are a few answers and sometimes you'll feel good about one of the layers, but the other layers will feel off. I think one of the things is obviously technically being good at your Mm. instrument tight, like playing the parts well, playing them tightly, you know, practicing them. I think for Valley Heart in this genre of music, I think tone has a lot to do with it. I think not necessarily trying to recreate what was made on the album because i think that's interesting because you're, you're you know you're kind of respecting that for what it is but understanding mm-hmm. that live you might have a different palette dynamic and that kind of like not trying to recreate what was on the album but trying to hone into like what your live sound is um mm-hmm. and how all your sounds and tones are meshing together is and how they're mixing together because when you mix an album it's like you can sit down and like you have way more control of how things are mixed you know but live it's like you're you're at the disposal of the sound guy, of the room, of of just so many factors. So I think kind of like having a good balance before even it hits the soundboard of like a mix of how you guys all work together i think is really important i think another layer too is just uh connection when you're in a band you know how you're connecting to the people you know there's been there's been times where it's been t- it's been a tight set but you know there's just like something off with one of the members and it never feels great for me at least it's like like we we did well but it's like it, i the best shows are when you're connected to everyone on stage and the music's also tight. And then I think the third layer is what we already talked about is feeling connected to people on stage, being tight musically, and then really being connected to the the audience and the moment, I think. Because I think a lot of times it's easy to get in your head about your live set. And I don't know, if Andrew, if you agree with this, but it's just like a thing of some, there's moments sometimes during sets where you kind of transcend your own thought process of like, Oh, what's the next part? How am I singing on tune? Am I flat or am I sharp? It's just, you're there in the moment and you're, you're looking at the way the light hits the faces of the people in front <laughs> of you. And it's just, it's, it's just bigger than the technicalities of, of music. And it's, it's just this kind of transcendent moment of like holistically, everything is dynamically playing together. And I think those are my goal is to like one day hopefully work towards trying to always be in that state or like for as much as I can be in that state of not thinking about the next part or this or that, you know, just kind of being in the moment. So I don't know. I think there's something really cool about that. What do you, what do you say, Andrew?
0: I'll echo a lot of that. The most recent tour that I did, basically the band that I was touring with was a fairly produced band and when we got into playing these songs live we really wanted it to feel raw and passionate so there might be electronic drums on the album but trying to then translate that to live drums and maybe just a lot of uh, synths and changing some of those synths to maybe an electric lead or something like that so so adapting your set for a live set is kind of a fun process to figure out and I'll echo what you said yeah. like just that the record is kind of its own thing and then when you get live you kind of have to make some of those tweaks otherwise it might not feel good live some of the songs and if you're fading out a song You can't do that live. You have to figure out actually where the song's ending. And some of those types of things as well. I know the first show is basically like I was just fully in my head, making sure I was playing everything right, kind of. But as the tour kind of progressed towards the end, it's like we all knew what we were doing. And sure, people would mess up here and there, but it's kind of the fun part then was more the fan interaction, seeing people's faces, especially if they hadn't heard any of the music before, how they're reacting to this new sound maybe people that just show up at a bar and they like go there whenever there's live music and you're that band and you might not be their style, but them like stopping what they're doing and kind of turning over and like, "Oh wow, that's pretty good or something like that that's really cool yeah. and then and then the feedback from maybe a sound tech or or someone there like man, like it's a lot better than what we usually get those types of <laughs> those types of yeah, things right. um the interactions afterwards are always. I think those are the priceless parts. It's like because you can overthink your set and go, man, like we messed up a ton of stuff. But a lot of times most people don't notice, uh, especially small mistakes. They won't notice those anyway. And you'll just kill yourself over small mistakes. So trying to get out of your head a lot. Yeah, it's really good.
1: So I have one more question in this realm. So, Kevin, when it comes to and I don't know if I'll be able to articulate this when it comes to playing a show live or releasing either a song or an album any type of project which do you feel more nerves with and which do you lack confidence in more or is it Mm -hmm. basically like a streamlined like you're always just this insecure musician i'm just (laughs) kidding or maybe your confidence is always high. Like where does your where's your range when it comes to those types of things? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense.
2: I think releasing music is is way easier. It's not. It's not easier. It's just there's a different approach to how you feel. I think when you release, you're nervous for the fact of you know. I wonder how people are gonna react. But I don't know. I feel like confident about your music. You know, that's way easier. I think there's just way other factors in the live set. There a lot, a lot of times, just stuff is out of your control, right? Like it's like your amp goes crazy and like you, you know, you have to like switch it live or it's just like there are things that are out of your control. So I guess that is. Daunting sometimes, just the idea that the unpredictability of, of of the live setting, which sometimes, you know, things are out of your control. So I, I think I'll, there, there's more of a, a pressure live, which you work through, you know? Um, but also there have there are moments with that nerve that it creates an energy, which I think is really cool. I remember just being young, and Nate, in our high school, our drama teacher, uh, Mr. McDonald, he told me something that I kind of always took in life and it was like when you're feeling nervous and like your gut like a lot of that energy you can transfer into just tangible excitement and energy so i mean live to kind of do that you know but again when you release a record or a song or something there's kind of a different perspective of of how are people going to react to this but i would say for me I, i i just love the studio process more than playing live i like playing live a lot but i i've always preferred like the moment i feel like most in tune with creativity for me is like when I'm creating in the studio and or releasing stuff. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: So welcome to Top 3, where we give you our top three of any specific category within the realm of music. This week uh, for our podcast, we're on top three concerts you have ever been to. This connects with our chime in where we talked about concerts. So, my top three concerts, I'll go first. My number three is I was going to see from Indian Lakes, and obviously, they're my favorite band. Like, they're a good live, everything's great. But what was just the icing on the cake and what really made this concert unique was have you ever gone to a concert and an opener just like blew your socks off that you like were not expecting? Yeah. at all. So Kevin, you know, this band, so tall, tall heart. tall heart was playing man. And literally that dude just opened his mouth and I was just like, Oh my goodness, what is going on? This is angelic. And uh, just to be so surprised and floored and they were a good live band and to add that to seeing from Indian lakes was incredible. My second favorite concert was Copeland. They were on a Now and Then tour where they played multiple songs from every single album that they've ever written up to that point. And Copeland's one of my top three bands. And this is the only time I've seen them live. So it was my favorite Copeland show. And then uh, lastly, Turnover. Kevin, you were at this show. My favorite album of all time is Peripheral Vision by Turnover. And we were at this Turnover show at the Sinclair, which is my favorite venue, and they literally played every single song off of Peripheral Vision. And that was all they played. And it was just, I don't know. There was nothing that like stood out to me about it. It was just like this moment of just pure bliss and satisfaction. The mere fact
2: awesome. that they played that record.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I'll never have this experience again. And maybe they'll do a... 10 year anniversary show but still it's not the same and also a cool fact about that show was animal flag was opening for them that show and that was just sick because that was the first time i had seen animal flag live and they're an awesome rock band so so yeah andrew what about you what are your top three all right this was a hard list
0: to put together because there's a ton of incredible concerts so each one's for kind of a different reason so my number three is Coldplay. Um, I saw them during their Head Full of Dreams tour, where they were just playing a bunch of outside arenas, and they gave everyone wristbands that could light up in a bunch of different colors. So the the production of the show was excellent. Coldplay, especially through high school and continuing to now, was like top favorite bands. Fix You, maybe my favorite song ever, and I started crying when they got to the guitar solo in Fix You, and I don't cry at concerts like Evers, so I had to kinda give that Props. It, it was just awesome. Chris Martin is moving around the stage a hundred percent of the time, and you never hear him like gasping for air like I would if I was moving that much. So it's an impressive concert. They sound incredible. Production's amazing. So that's my number three. Number two is Muse. I've seen them twice, but the show I'm going to pick is their Drones tour. During that, they had a bunch of drones during the tour, and not only were they playing insanely good like they always do, but the production. The drones were, like, flying all over the place. And everything about the show was just, like, it blew my mind. I'd never seen a show like it. And just seeing kind of three dudes playing insanely amazing music in such a tight, tight way, it's just, it was insanely good. And then my favorite concert of all time, giving to Under Oath for their Rebirth tour. Mm. When they came back around, they were quit. It wasn't even just hiatus. They quit for long time, came back, and that's actually a concert, I'll say, that the opening band blew me away because Caspian played and Caspian opened, and that's a band from the greater Boston area. I'm not sure where specifically actually, but I know you guys kind of know them, are much more familiar with them than I am, and know the dudes in that band, but they're insanely good. And they brought a ton of energy, and then Under Oath came out, and something kind of struck me about that show, and that was the crowd interaction. I've never heard a louder crowd In my life, there was times that Spencer's screaming and Spencer's scream was on par volume-wise with the crowd, and that's just insane to me. And they played through their only chasing safety and define the great line like straight through both of those albums, which are two of my favorite metal albums of all time. So. I just, I was kind of living it up, and it it was so fun to see them again. I had seen Under Oath one time before, and that was without Aaron, and Mm -hmm. so getting to see them with Aaron, playing through two, probably just the two most nostalgic albums of my like teen life, just straight through, was awesome. Kevin, what
2: are your top three concerts? So there may be some overlap, but uh third out of the three is Bon Iver mm. at Boston Calling 2017, last year. He had released 22 Million in 2016, late 2016, and he was kind of touring on that record, I think. It was, you know, he's just an artist that I've been listening to for years, and it was, it was a truly incredible concert with the visuals, and we were pretty close up, and there were just moments of just completely being immersed in the moment and the music and the light show and the visual that went along with it. It was kind of like the Under Earth show. I was at that show too, Andrew. They had this kind of like screen of, of images playing that kind of accompanied the set. And it was a lot of that happening and it was really, really cool. And the coolest moment of that show was during Holocene, it started pouring rain I remember looking behind me, and it, it reminded me of a worship concert. It, really weird to sound like, but just like people closing their eyes and like kind of absorbing the rain, kind of how in worship there's like this sense of absorption of like just kind of letting something fall on you and raising your hands. There was a, it felt like that in like a really weird way, and it was just the way the rain fell. And it wasn't in the beginning of the song. It was right when like the drums crashed and there was like, a drop, and it, it was like too perfect and weird. Mm. And then also. At that show, I walked right after that set ended, and I saw Sigur Ross too, which, you know, that show was just like... The fact that I saw Bonnie Iver and then two minutes later saw Sigur Ross was just that whole span of two hours <sighs> in another dimension. That's my third of my top three. My second one is Caspian, but not that Under Oath show. It was actually a headliner show at the Sinclair. Um, No, no, sorry. Headliner show at the Royale. And I had just flown in from a week and a half in Iceland. I got a ride from my dad and I left my luggage in the car. I got picked up at the airport, left my luggage in the car. I had my backpack. He drove me to the Royale and dropped me off right in front of the Royale. So just kind of having this like crazy travel experience of like Iceland and like seeing all these crazy larger than life, you know, um, mountains and waterfalls and just having this experience and like kind of being super jet lagged, super tired, flying in driving from the airport to the front door coming in and like i had just i gotten there right in time where i yeah. caught the last song of the apple cast which was the opener which is awesome too but then Caspian just started, and I just, like, saw all my friends, and it was this, like, really, really crazy, like, perpendicular moment of just, like, this intersection of, like, experience in music and, like, this, you know, the way they they played was perfect, and they played this amazing headliner set. It was just this really crazy emotional thing. So that was my second one. And then my first was uh, Copeland. I saw them in Nashville in two thousand. I believe, or 16. I can't remember at the moment, but some friends and I, we had been longtime fans of their music. And we decided to take a road trip down to Nashville to see them because it was the first show they were playing in a long time. This was like right before a lot of my friends got married and kind of like entered into a new phase of life. So it was kind of like a last trip together of like a lot of the exiting the fall guys. And we all John, my friend, John, my friend, Matt and Philippe and we all drove down and just kind of having that moment with friends that week with Mm. friends going to nashville seeing copeland which is my favorite band was just a really really cool moment of nostalgia and new memories so that was my my first
1: that's awesome those are some great lists guys we should feel proud of ourselves So welcome to our listening party portion of the podcast. This is the meat and potatoes. This is what everybody's here for. So, Kevin, the new album is called Everyone I've Ever Loved. So first off, right off the bat, I know it's directly about myself. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. It's just uh, an album for you. But uh, I guess just like overall, I'm just curious, like what was your mindset beginning the writing process for this album. Before we get into it, just like what like how did this begin the whole process?
2: Uh yeah. Well, um, I think the first release we had with Valley Heart was Nowadays, which was something that felt concise, but not so much because it was a lot of collections of older songs, newer songs. The concepts kind of lined up, but it was more scattered. So with with Everyone I've Ever Loved, I really wanted to try to write a good flow, like a good a good album, a good record that flowed, and hopefully it did. But it was something that was way more intentional about how each song dynamically played against one another and I actually had like even the order of the songs pretty early on in my head I it kind of moved around but for, for the most part i kind of had a general idea of how i wanted the songs to flow but you know it started off as kind of having a few songs here and there and kind of be like oh this would you know this would fit well here here and almost like a puzzle piece and then kind of writing to fill in those gaps some songs a little bit later some songs earlier on in the process some songs were more collaborative than others there are some songs on the album that i mean i pretty much wrote like the drum parts the bass parts the keys parts and the guitar parts and then there are other songs where i kind of had a minute a minute and a half written and i kind of brought it to the guys and we kind of deconstructed it and and worked on it and like wrote certain parts together and like some parts were just not even parts that i initiated parts that someone else kind of had an idea and we kind of played on that so there's there's actually quite a bit of a difference where some songs are like a lot of me and a lot of songs are very full band collaboratively written So it was it was cool. I think it it added a cool balance to that to feel like, oh, there are some songs that are more progressive and experimental and there are others that are a bit more concise. So, yeah, that was kind of the main process. And then lyrically trying to, you know, write something that was concise and focused, but also interesting enough that it wasn't redundant you know, from Mm. song to song, that it kind of captured the same vibe and headspace, but through different stories and experiences and kind of perspectives, you know?
1: Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, It's funny, so... Kevin and I would be talking about like songs in the early stages of the process. And I mean, this isn't exactly what you've said, but it would be funny. You'd be like, Yeah, I don't have a name for this. I'm feeling this is like probably like a track seven type of song. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'd be like, Kevin, you have like four songs written. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. But like, I think that's one of the cool parts about. Seeing you think about this record is you're writing the whole story before you write its individual parts. And as you write its individual parts, because you've already thought through it thoroughly, you're able to easily articulate the placements and also the connectedness of each track. Mm -hmm. But Yeah so that's awesome we're gonna get into the first track heaven and hell we're hoping it's more on the heaven side from an enjoyment standpoint uh but yeah so feel free to uh listen on your own and we'll play a clip and just bye Kevin and hell uh andrew because your opinion matters much more than kevin's we're just gonna talk to you about uh your thoughts
0: so i think this song starts the album off perfectly lyrically it kind of gives just a lot of the background for what Kevin dives into lyrically throughout the album, just talking about kind of desires and questions a lot. There's also a line in this song that will be repeated later in the song as well, and that just kind of starts the album off, kind of getting you into that mindset that you need to be in lyrically for what he's going to unpack throughout the album. Musically, my favorite part kind of is the big hits and kind of heavy guitars and vocals around the three minute mark. It's awesome and sounds really dark between kind of the the guitars hitting as hard as they are and 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 the drums and everything and i really appreciate where it kind of starts feeling in more of a major key and then it gets darker as the song goes on and i think musically that kind of creates a great feel for the whole heaven and hell contrast that he's talking about in the song and so those are some things i really appreciate about the song how about you nate
1: yeah I love the overall vibe of the song actually something you just said made me like helped me understand something a little bit clearer and I'll I'll mention it as I explain so I love the transition from the smooth kind of even keelness vibiness of the beginning to middle portion and the transition to the heavy closing as well and for me I think it's like this transition obviously not just instrumentally but lyrically of being complacent and And saying, I no longer want to be that way. And kind of taking kind of being angry about like answering that question, where does your life lead? In the first portion, you're kind of just like fine asking it like, uh, whatever it feels like. And then as you transition to the end, you're like actually wrestling with it. Like the way I've been living, I don't know if this is like where I I, this isn't where I want to go. But uh, my question Was Kevin, despite the juxtaposition between the smooth, level portion of the song and then the heavy aspects, overall, there's just right off the bat, you can tell this record is going to be very clean and very smoothly produced. Like, how was that a focus for you? And how did you kind of pull that off? I guess.
2: Well, I'll say this I think I did a lot of thinking and intentionality before going into recording of like how. I wanted for this to sound and I think there, there's a million ways you can record something and then a million other ways you can mix it so it's just like trying to have a clear vision of not just another rock record but how how, how are we going to make it different and I think working with Kevin Billingsley who also co-produced the album I sent him a lot of records that I, I really kind of wanted of a similar vibe in some of those were from Indian Lake's absence Sound, you know, a record that that had punchy drums and a record that had these really dynamic parts, but had this kind of blanket almost of just vibe, like a mood and yeah. like of, of texture. So I really wanted to capture that where the punchy parts weren't like poking out at you. They were in your face, but there was also this kind of background texture that yeah. was really there. So I, I think a lot of that was also influencing like, post rock music like hammock is also one of my favorite bands and i sent kev a lot of hammock records of like how they transition their songs and how there's like these like really big textures behind a lot of even their bigger parts so i think having almost that evenness of punchy big parts Heavy parts and, like, textury full parts, I think, was was a big way to kind of make things sound smooth, if you will, you know? Definitely. That's awesome. Kevin, for kind of
0: introing with this first song and the lyrics and everything with the song, how did you decide, was this always going to be the first track because of those themes? Or how did you kind of come about writing the song as the opening song?
2: Yeah, I actually... It was the first song, first song written in the album, first of all, and it was a song that I think I, I from the beginning I wanted as the first song, and um, it is an idea I've had for quite some time. Actually, an idea I've had since high school about writing a, a song like this. It's loosely based on Dante's Inferno in the first chapter of that book, where Dante is guided by Virgil and he's walking through Limbo, I believe, and he's and he's pretty much at the gates of hell and uh, they're walking through this garden where there are people who didn't make it into heaven, but they also didn't make it into hell. They're kind of, there's like scholars, people that are well-intent, like uh, there's a lot of these great thinkers and these philosophers and these, these people who kind of live their whole life questioning things. And they are just eternally stuck in this, this in between. And I always thought that was a really, really interesting (laughs) visual. And it really sets up Dante's Inferno really well where it showed these people that were like very well intentioned and very smart and very thoughtful but they kind of live their whole life like never really choosing a side and uh the whole kind of being guided by Virgil thing was was really cool and it's kind of the garden imagery was just always very interesting to me so i i, I always wanted to write a song kind of based in that landscape and that's what heaven and hell kind of is, is what it is so it was something i've had i wanted to kind of hone in for a while just reading that was like the fav- my favorite book in in, in high school so it was, um, yeah, a concept that kind of set up the whole concept for the whole album and just kind of worked out as the first track.
1: Yeah. So for the next track, we have Friends in the Foyer. And feel free to go. listen up.
0: Yeah, so this song the song structure in the song is extremely unique and I think I really appreciate that especially after the first song that kind of just intros feel of this all of a sudden you kind of feel like you know what to expect even though it's track 2 and you get through the chorus and then they kind of throw the huge curveball at you with bringing it down right after the first chorus and then slamming back in it's kind of just super unique I haven't heard something like that and I kind of loved it right away Nate saw my face when when it (laughs) dropped and we were listening through this album together nate saw my face just kind of I don't know what it looked like, You're but like... <laughs> I wish mean, you could see, cause Nate actually yeah. crushed what the face, what the face was, but it was just like a really weird, like not sure what just happened. Kind of trying to, yeah. to pull everything together mentally. And then it yeah. slams back in and, and I loved it. It was so good. I don't know. Just a lot of thoughts I think went through my mind of like, do I like this? Do I hate this? No. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. like it. Kind of deal. I think probably though outside of the song structure, Sure and the general song. I love the drum groove in the pre-chorus. It's super tight. I don't know. There's just something Mm -hmm. about it that like, like it pulled me right in. And I love that part. The one thing that was also unique I pointed out to Nate was kind of halfway through the chorus, the drums are kind of driving the whole time. And then it kind of goes to a Tom feel and then back to driving. And I was just naturally expecting it to keep driving the whole chorus because that's what I've heard bands do. And so I also appreciated kind of the change of the drum groove again i think the drums specifically uh stood out to me outside of again the strong song structure and i also kevin the pinch harmonics to end it right there kind of right before <laughs> it goes out yeah uh, i was like oh that's kevin going back to his metal days a little bit but just like yeah. real quick but it was actually super tasteful and i'd like not heard those notes kind of played outside of metal and so it was actually really cool for me i don't know if there's nostalgia there as well uh with some of the music i used to play a lot but um, For sure. But I, I just thought the whole song in general is really awesome. As I've listened to the song more and more to the lyrics of the song stand out more, I just appreciate kind of throughout the whole album, the honesty of the lyrics, Kevin, just super good. And I felt like this was a song as Nate and I were listening, I couldn't unpack the lyrics because I was so confused by the song structure at first. <laughs> but then once I kind of got used to what the song was and unpacking the lyrics, there's a lot there. And I really appreciated that. So, Nate, what were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so first, touching on lyrics as well, uh, Friends on the Foyer, for me, is one of the most uh, similar songs lyrically, like thematically, the songs like Kids of Calvary and uh, Nowadays. And yet, as I was thinking that, And kind of thinking through that, I realized how much of the songs throughout the album are actually very tied to that same concept, which is kind of what you were talking about at the beginning when you were introducing the comparison between Nowadays and Mm -hmm. this new record. But you do it in a way that's a bit more nuanced. And also you're telling stories from all these different angles and you're really painting a much more clearer and full picture where, and I mean on an EP, you're obviously not even really given time necessarily to paint a full picture but I just think it's really cool how each song like as you said, plays its role in communicating this idea. But what's interesting, and maybe you want to talk about this, maybe not, before we get into song structure again, but like I realize that the faith of your friends, the current state of the faith of your friends, whether their faith is strong or they've lost their faith or wherever it is in that on that scale, we'll say, has really impacted the way you view both your own faith and the experiences, the shared experiences you have with those friends, and I would say, questioning the genuinity of those moments, or if it was genuine, like what happened? Like, how did we get here? Is that something you feel comfortable talking about? I mean, is yeah, that I, true? Is that well,
2: yeah, I mean, I think that is one of the biggest themes on like just the name of the album right it's that's yeah. kind of how it all ties in it's the dynamic of faith in friendship and and seeing how people around you how faith itself has changed because it's dynamically changed within your circle of influence you know and seeing how you've played a part in that so yeah i think friends in the foyer is a, a very specific song that hones in on on how those like a, a very specific story about how those friendships have changed and how the dynamic of, of faith has changed and i think intentionally the song structure parallels that dynamic you know i think yeah it's it's one of those things where it's to kind of go into so many different moods and kind of this like disarray of like emotion and dynamic was was kind of lyrically the vibe i was going for too
1: is that instrumental in the middle like the dun Dun, dun, dun. that really builds mm-hmm. into that big instrumental. Is that kind of like a moment of clarity for you? So like, I'm thinking about more like you're telling this story and it's, it's kind of ramping up. And with the friends in the floor and the house on a mountain, you're kind of like frustrated with like who, and just shocked with who you, who you and they've become. But that moment, the instrumental after is almost like this, like buildup of thinking about the impact that that actually has on your life and understanding it. And it explodes into the bridge and that's like you voicing that impact kind of
2: yeah, I think that 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 drop, you know, aside from just like a musical thing you wrote, I think it does sick. <laughs> no, no, I think it's just it, it does kind of allow the listener to I don't know, I think the line before that drop was for me the climax of that song. Um yeah. so to kind of allow that drop provides a really good transition, you know. I think I wanted I wanted people to really kind of simmer in that, that emotion and, and in that headspace that I was at. So to kind of drop it and then ramp it right back up because I didn't want the song to go down. I wanted to keep it up, but having that one part, I think allows someone to kind of just sit and be like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, hopefully, you know, it's like, so that's, that was kind of the vibe behind that. That's awesome.
1: So next we have Crave, which is both the first and only single from the record. Feel free to listen So, Andrew, Crave, what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah,
0: I think from a production standpoint, this is one of my favorites. As Kevin has already alluded to, the album itself has kind of this umbrella of sonic tone that it kind of goes for. And the general tone of of the guitars, the vocals, everything has a very clean feel to it. And I appreciate that. And I really like just the production of the song from that standpoint. It also, this song has one of, if not my favorite lyrical parts. And it's just don't, a question Don't
1: steal this. Don't steal this from me. <laughs> Keep
0: Uh, going. (laughs) I'm probably going. I don't know. Um, But it's just a question and it's asked, could I find contentment in just being still? And I don't know. That just resonated with me throughout the song, how it's unpacked and just that question and even how it applies to my own life. I just really appreciated that. And also the vocal melody throughout the song. The vocal
1: melody to me stuck out a lot as well. So. Nate, what are your thoughts? So the reason why I attacked you, Andrew, is I feel like every time you're about to make a good point, or at least what I perceive to be a good point, I'm like, oh, shoot, he's going to steal what I'm going to say. Did I? Um, I'm assuming not, actually. So I I had uh, selected the bridge lyrics because and that that last question oh. is within that. And they're my favorite lyrics on the album, Kevin. And specifically oh. in the moments of my weakness now, I barely feel the fall. And for me, the reason why this is just so powerful is because I feel like you're able to articulate that feeling when you're doing something you know is wrong and you like no longer feel bad. Bad about it, like you did when you had first done it, or even thought about the possibility of doing it, or saying it, or thinking it. Yeah, and it creates this almost numbness and inability to realize how your thoughts and actions impact those around you and also yourself. Because when you no longer feel that warning sign or that guilt, I think there's a difference between feeling shameful and feeling guilt. And when you no longer feel that guilt, you no longer, I think, are able to weigh the weight of your decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think it leads to this life of making those decisions a lot more flippantly than you should And so for me, it's just like, wow, that was very, very relatable. And honestly, I would say even though it's not exactly boiled down the theme of the album, I do think that this line answers a lot of questions for me Mm -hmm. when it comes to ways you're feeling throughout the record. And so I do find it to be a very important line. I mean, instrumentally, I just think this song has the catchiest chorus on the album and lyrically, as I stated, I think packs the most amount of relatability. Kevin, I guess what made you decide this to be the single?
2: I don't know. It honestly wasn't from the beginning. It was one of those exceptions where I don't think in my mind it was going to be the single a lot of the record was very intentional but this one kind of the way it kind of came out i think after we recorded it it had a certain magic that i think we all were like yeah there's something kind of special about this one just the way the chorus is and it's just the catchiness of it and i think it came out just production wise really really cool we did a lot of experimenting with some of the the sounds and just the strings i mean uh, you know we recorded them actually danny who played keys on the album and i we recorded the strings on our own so we're just feeling really proud about that. Like we didn't even do it in a professional studio, but just kind of how that all naturally fit in. I think it's just a song that I was a little apprehensive about because it's very—it's not different lyrically from the other songs on the album, but it's—it's just—it just hones just in way more generally. As weird as that sounds, it's just, yeah. it just—it talks more generally about this feeling of discontentment and and trying to find your place, as opposed to a lot of the other parts of the song of uh, the, the record were are, are more kind of speci- especially religious. But this one is just a bit more general. So I wasn't sure if it would fit the vibe on the record, but I think it it really did in the long run. But I think it just makes it made sense as like the uh, the song that people, I think, would kind of be like, no matter where you're at, you're just kind of like at some point, hopefully someone says, oh, I can relate to that or something, you know?
0: Yeah. So, Kevin... Part of Valley Heart's style that's noticeable throughout this album and even going back to nowadays is kind of all the hits that you do as as a full band, just these big monstrous kind of instrumentals where maybe you pause for a second and then everyone comes in again. Can you just speak to that as part of Valley Heart's style, maybe why you appreciate those kind of elements in your music and what maybe made you decide to make that part of your style with Valley Heart?
2: Yeah. I mean, honestly, a lot of that has to do with John and I's relationship and how there's remnants of hardcore music and heavy music that has seeped its way into uh, the way we write. And not just hardcore music, but John and I actually, we played together in Exiting the Fall, but we also for years played together on a worship team where I played bass and he played drums so I I just specifically remember a lot of nights just kind of improvising with him looking at and like kind of bass and drum grooves and kind of different hits that he would kind of improvise and not coming in on like the one beat but kind of just like doing a fill into like an offbeat thing and that has just kind of been a dynamic John and I when we write not even write when we play together we've always kind of thrown in those kind of syncopated parts and I guess Valley Heart was never an exception whenever like we he is the one that kind of like dynamic plays off of that with my writing and like we'll do a lot of that and a lot of that stuff you hear on on the record is his drumming you know and how he how his mind thinks and writes so
1: for our next track we have agnosia and google
0: Yeah, yeah, first thing that stuck out to me was kind of the chorus groove hitting on the offbeat as well Kind of what you were saying Kevin that might be more of, of John's influence with that But just kind of coming in and, and the offbeat hits it creates a really awesome groove it Kind of pulls you right into that chorus and it feels really good Especially after a more straight kind of verse groove pulling into that mm-hmm. it's really awesome parts of it and i've referenced this band before and i feel weird every time i reference this band but parts of it remind me of brand new Mm -hmm. some of the sonic elements remind me of that but i always feel weird mentioning brand new because of some of the newer stuff with the lead singer but yeah i I think overall just the music is what stuck out to me a lot with the song the grooves the musical elements of the song nate what were your thoughts
1: for me i really like the conciseness of the song structurally Mm -hmm. just like first chorus first chorus instrumental just like short and to the point. This is one of those songs that doesn't really take a breath, I feel like. You're just like having this consistent conversation. And the lyrics for me, I think, are very interesting because throughout the album, you talk a lot about life ending at some point. But the lyrics really take a relational focus on that idea that all relationships end, Mm -hmm. whether by people changing or just circumstances or eventually out of things that we obviously can't control It's interesting because that really provides a clarity of why it matters that life ends. It's because these relationships that are so valuable and have such significant meaning are no longer able to exist. And I guess one question I have for you is the song title. You and I have had a side conversation about this, but do you just want to explain what agnosia is? and you can feel free to go off for as long as you want about that
2: sure so agnosia is a neuropsychological condition it's inability to identify objects or people or faces so you're still your cognitive function is still intact like you'll be able to have a conversation you know your your brain is still there and you're able to Process information, but you can't make the connection of how you know people or where you've met them or even if you've ever known them at all. Like it's it's just the loss of just facial recognition and different objects and images. I don't know. I was reading a book about neuropsychological disorders, and I, it just kind of spoke to me. And I already had this song written, and I was just a name was missing, and this kind of was just the perfect name for me. I just I think it it really fit kind of the concept of the whole song, you know. And kind of what you were saying, Nate, about I think the song sets up three songs it's it's kind of like mm -hmm. this is a portion of the record where we're gonna start talking about losing things and like what life means and it's like the loss of relationships and then the next song is kind of like the loss of like deep friendships The next song is this about the loss of life you know and it's like kind of going deeper into layers and this was like kind of a good initial kind of intro into like the loss of ability to kind of take information in and, and understand it
1: yeah that's awesome so we have the next track which is called Maryland Feel Free to sing Andrew, uh, you live in Pennsylvania. You're pretty close to Maryland. What are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on this track? I don't like Maryland. Yeah, I don't like Maryland either. (laughs) Just kidding. Maryland's fine. At least it's not Delaware. If it was Delaware, <laughs> you definitely don't like.
0: <laughs> I mean, I mean, New Jersey. Jersey Jersey's I the hate, worst. I hate
1: Delaware more than New Jersey. Seriously, but a I mean, I mean, is random, but Delaware is random. Delaware is random, but
0: at least they don't have like taxes on like stuff. Like everything. You can just, yeah, <laughs>
1: taxes on breathing. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> I mean, Delaware serves that purpose, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, well, now that we're pretty deep into what states we like and what we don't, <laughs> with the song Maryland. I really appreciate the lyrics of the song, kind of frailty of life, inevitable, and kind of unpacking some of those feelings and emotions as well. I think it's stated in a very, very easy to understand way, but yet poetic. It's it's not just spoon-fed lyrics, and that's kind of the theme through the album is, is it's easy enough to understand when you're reading the lyrics, but it's not so easy that you go, I've heard all of this before, and this song's no exception to that musically. Uh, Again, uh, I just love kind of the hits coming in big at different parts, so kind of at the two-minute mark. There's a time where it kind of comes down musically and it slams right back in. And that's just, I'm just a sucker for that. So it sounds, sounds great. What are your thoughts, Nate?
1: I think the edit on the vocals before the instrumental is a cool effect and goes hand in hand with the lyrics where it says all is bound to fade one day and your voice kind of fades out. But then for the last one, the vocals come in like really loud and clear and obviously like they're stylistic reasons to do something like that but obviously there's an opportunity to interpret what the meaning is of that as well whether you had intentionality or not and that's kind of my question but also I'm just going to suggest my thoughts like for me this was this moment of like in the midst of fading having a moment of it at least having a moment of clarity about that truth it's just like as you're fading away being able to have clarity about that actually creates some certainty and some foundation and something to build upon when it feels like everything is slipping out from beneath your feet kind of do you just want to build off that idea or whatever
2: yeah i mean this is one of the songs that i was kind of alluding to earlier that we really collectively wrote together i had kind of the verse and then the rest of it was kind of really collaborative and also from a production point of view just like different like sounds and elements and just a lot of synth stuff that i really wanted to kind of explore in the song and just uh, the vocal thing was was definitely something i wanted to kind of be experimental about and do that too but i think it's a song that is very experimental in trying to like have a lot of texture in there. That's kind of where musically it stands. And then lyrically, yeah, it's just kind of going deeper into that realm of questioning what life means and and how it plays into relationships and friendships. And I mean, lyrically, the song was based on a dream, actually. Friends and I used to hang out at this place in Maryland. Exiting the Fall used to play at this venue called Right Choice Ministries. It was this barn house (laughs) venue in, in Maryland. It was something that we would always do, and it was kind of a staple of of my youth. Like, weirdly enough, it was always this point where we would come back from touring in the South. It would be, like, kind of like this coming home feeling. And it was just this beautiful farm with volleyball and, like, a pool, and it was just this... It almost reminded me of, like, what you thought heaven would look like. It was, like, this, like, just restful, beautiful place. And I just had a dream one day that I was in that area, in that field, in that place, and found all the friends that I was there with, you know, buried in in that same field. And it was, you know, it was kind of this moment of, like, beautiful imagery contrasted with with darkness, which is kind of a theme on the record. So I was just kind of exploring the lyrics and and really kind of exploring a lot of the the musical elements, alluding back to the, the vocal fade stuff, so yeah
1: instrumentally when you're talking about experimentals one of the comparisons that jumps out to me is phoebe bridgers i don't know if they're synths you have a lot of these like little aspects do you want is that uh inspiration of you and yours and do you want to like touch on that
2: yeah oh yeah that album is a very big inspiration it was one of my favorite records of of last year and yeah honestly the way that album is produced kind of influenced the whole the way i kind of trying to produce this album very specifically and very directly, but just kind of these moments where there could be space between vocal parts, like it, like the way that when the verse ends and like a chorus starts or an instrumental starts, like normally it would just kind of be like a guitar kind of playing through and then it would hit, but having like these like panned weird sounds that are like really processed and confusing. to like, is that a guitar? Is that a synth? Is that a organ yeah. is like, what is that? You know, um, I think that question of like these little kind of quiet tucked in the mix things was a very big staple of her album. And I kind of wanted to, I have a lot of moments like that on this record. And I think Maryland, I definitely experimented that was the song that I import like I recorded a lot of the album actually in my room. Like a lot of it was just imported into the session that we did at the, the studio we recorded at. And this song, more than others, was the one I think that has the most stuff that I experimented with this little synth I have called the organelle. It's critter and Qatari, and it's just a lot of sounds and, and samples and whatnot. And uh, there's just like this sine wave that and I think they might even have the same one they use on that record. I don't know, but it's it's a very similar sound and it's pretty much this modulated sine wave that kind of plays melodies and like kind of has this like sound that was very nostalgic on Phoebe's record that, you know, I was definitely an influence on, on this song. So, yeah.
0: So, Kevin, with this song and with the entire album, a lot of the songs end with kind of a longer, drawn-out kind of ending. It's kind of droning at the end or fading out in a certain sense of it. What made that kind of a staple of this album or Valley Heart's Sound?
2: That's That's a really good question. That was very intentional, too. I think... I wanted there to be spaces on the album that, especially during the ending, kind of what we were talking about in Friends, where I wanted there to be like a good 40, 50 seconds or whatever, where someone could really sit and just kind of, this is my favorite part of post-rock music, is where you can just kind of experience this instrumental and kind of soak in the concepts that your brain is thinking and kind of unpack all these things. And I, I didn't want the songs to just end. I, I think it would have been really just not giving the lyrics justice and not giving people time to kind of of process these thoughts so i think having these snippets of like these like drones and instrumentals it really gives room for the listener to take in the thoughts take in kind of their own reflection their own perspective on these lyrics and kind of sitting there but still being within the song like not having them as like instrumental tracks but having them as part of the songs really gives space for people to process these kind of existential questions so next we have dissolve let's get it
0: This is actually one of my favorite songs on the album. I think just the general tone of kind of the fuzz on the bass in the intro, I love that. And and I think it's some of my favorite lyrics on the album as well. I just, I, I love the imagery and, and just unpacking everything that you did there. One thing that stands out to me as well in the song is kind of the change from 4 4 to 6 8 is really awesome. Kind of just the time signature change is really awesome. The strings as well in the song, it's kind of stood out to me leading into the big heavy guitar parts, just some really beautiful string parts as well. And, and once yeah. again, the hits throughout the song are really awesome.
1: Yeah, cool. So lyrically, Kevin, like the last time we hung out, we like talked about kind of like this type of the imagery in the song and like the meaning behind the song, and you wrote this song a long time ago, and we're still talking about it, thinking through it, processing it. Was it important for you to put songs on the album, and a lot of them are this way, where you don't have these clear, neat, and tidy answers for them?
2: Absolutely. I think that, in a way, has always been a staple of Valley Heart, or just the music I've written in general. I think that has to do with being in exiting the fall or just being in a band where for so long it was like, or not, not just exiting the fall, but kind of being in a culture of Christian music that was so quick to give an answer at the end of every song. It just, I got really jaded from that and it just started really feeling not so genuine, you know? And whether it is or not is not my place to say, but it's just not so much in 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 like hardcore music, but just in general, there was just this notion of like, this is the answer, like we're selling you the answer and it just became overwhelming. So I kind of became obsessed with music that just kind of leaves this open question and allows you to kind of figure it out and, and allows you to kind of see seep through those those thoughts and processes. So yeah, I think dissolve is kind of an epicenter of that concept, you know. It's one that introduces a lot of questions. I think this is for those three songs, Ignosia, Maryland, and Dissolve, it's the peak of like, what is the meaning of life? Like what is like, it it just, it's kind of diving deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's like, there's definitely this sense of like, I'm talking, I'm like holistically talking about life and death and and what it all means. And I feel like to give like an answer would just, would be inappropriate at that point, you know? So I just kind of really wanted to open up the question more and more.
1: So the next song we have is Drown in Living Waters. Andrew, what are your thoughts on John and the Living Waters?
0: Just throughout the album, I've already appreciated that every song kind of sounds different. It has this umbrella of like, it's Valley Heart, and it sounds like it's Valley Heart, but each song doesn't sound like it's just rehashing the same musical style again and again and again and beating you over the head with that. And so the song's no different. I love there's a slightly longer break in this song. And during that, there's just some small kind of synthy parts in that, like super subtle, but they're really cool and very unique unique it adds another layer to what the C D has been up to this point. And actually it's in four four. Then there's just this huge instrumental in six eight and then one of my favorite things is how it actually gets back to four four. There's like two bars right. or so of it kind of doesn't mess around with getting back to four four, which I appreciate. Sometimes people try and like open it up, but it basically goes from six eight to four four almost right away. And it's it's just a cool thing to bring you right back to the chorus again. I think the effects layering in this song is actually just one of my favorite parts of the song as well. Just all the different effects and and how it's all mixed in this song. So, Nate, what were your thoughts on this song?
1: So, this song, uh, I mean, I liked it from the get-go, but it's a song that's grown on me the most and has become one of my favorites. And... Kevin, I know that you kind of share that thought, almost like heading into the process of recording this song. You weren't exactly sure how it would go. Do you want to describe the evolution in that sense?
2: Totally. I think this song was the song that, it's the song that had the most, had the the biggest journey on the record, like just from the, the initial state of writing it. It honestly started off just as those first two verses in the song, just like kind of an acoustic track I had sitting around on my phone in a voice memo. And I wasn't even sure if it would fit the records musically but I think lyrically it was something I really wanted to, to make work because I think it, it really fit into the concept but musically I wasn't sure how it was going to work out because I, I didn't want to I wanted it to stay true to the vibe it was at but I think it was a song that there were a lot of these parts and the challenge with this song was how do, how do we make those parts work together and flow into each other well and I, I mean there have been songs in the past where I've had the same approach and I listen back and I'm like wow that really doesn't work like that. <laughs> that sounds like two different songs, but with this, with this song, I think the way Kevin Billingsley uh, makes a lot of the parts and just a lot of the, the production stuff, it ended up feeling like one concise thing and it's a song that I'm really proud of, but yeah, it took, it took a lot of reworking. It took a lot of moving parts around. It took a lot of experimenting song structure wise to get it to a place where I felt like it made sense and flowed and not just flowed, but built in a way that that last chorus really hit home, you know?
0: Yeah. At the end of the song, there's kind of this drum ending there that kind of, yeah, it, it also, I probably made a very similar face, um, what i had in friends as well
1: i think this time though you were more like what is wrong <laughs> yeah yeah like...
0: the first time it kind of so it starts pretty standard and then there's like one beat that's like a little off i was like oh that that's unique and then it's like two beats and then it just like dissolves into kind of madness at the end uh, right yeah. before it's done was that your idea was that someone else's idea and it yeah, was uh, my idea yeah it's a great idea i guess that's not even yeah, a yeah. question it's a statement uh,
2: I, the question was whose idea and then the statement is good job. <laughs> Thank cool. you. Nathan and I have talked about this, but I'm obsessed with music that I don't love at first and then end up falling in love with because I think that that is some of the most powerful things. It's like when you meet someone and you're like not sure about them in person and then they end up being some of your like your best friend, you know? Yeah. I think there's something really cool about that dynamic in life. Yeah, right. So I, I kind of like that dynamic of like something that at first you're like, I don't know. I don't know about that. And then like a couple listens later, a couple months later, whatever, it turns into something that you, you're all about. And I, I think there's something powerful powerful about that. So I definitely wanted to kind of take risks on that on this album. I definitely agree with that take. I think most of my favorite
0: albums are albums that I didn't love at first. And Mm -hmm, like I had to unpack them because sometimes albums you love at first, you realize it's just because it's nothing's unique about it. It's just kind of what you've heard before. So your natural take is just like, oh, yeah, I've heard stuff like this before and it's done well. But some of the best albums are the albums that you go, man, I haven't heard anything like this and I don't know how to react. At first, and yeah, it, after a little while, you're like, "Dude, this is like it's groundbreaking. It's different, and I love it." And totally. uh, yeah,
2: I think that's how that's how new trends start. You know, that's just how that's how crazy works. Crazy. I don't know. I, I think that's there's something really true to that yeah it's like mustard on mashed potatoes
0: my <laughs> wife when we were dating she she's like hey so uh i have this weird thing that i like and it's mustard on mashed potatoes and i was like i don't like that at all that's weird and i was very against it and she's like well like if you dip a french fry in mustard it, like that's a potato and i'm like yeah but like it's she's different and stuff <laughs> and then i tried it and now this is not like something i love but like i understand it now and i'm like okay yeah. like it's not as weird as it sounds. And, right. uh, and so it's kind of some of those things you hear at first, you're like, no way, no way. That's right, good. Right, and then, and then right. later you're like, okay, you, you might just make your piece with like, not for me, but like it's, yeah. it's unique and it's, it's not terrible.
2: Totally. Totally. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I feel like too, Kevin, like, it's like you want to be impressed by your own work Mm -hmm. and by challenging yourself to be experimental and to do things you haven't heard before or create things in a way that you've never created as a musician that's like a healthy process
2: i agree and i think doing that in the landscape of alternative rock i I don't know like a a band that has been really influential in that for me is is animal flag you know it's yeah definitely kind of approaching alternative the heavier rock in a different way you know and mm-hmm. i think that i don't know because in hip-hop there's this really cool idea of like you're always sampling new things like you're always trying to like push the envelope production wise and yeah. sounds wise and in rock yeah. i feel like there's not so much that 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 push and that's fine it's just a different genre but i, I just love the idea of like what was that like in in rock music mm-hmm. you know it's like i think there's something really cool about that and uh i see it happening more and more and i i i want to be doing that as well so yeah
1: Next, we have your name. That
3: intentions aren't easy to hurt. So we sat on your couch.
1: Andrew, what are your thoughts?
0: I think this is a really great song at this point in the album, because... There's been so much musically that's happening that it's almost like refreshing the stripped down feel of the song and just how raw it is. And the lyrics match up with that. They're just I mean, throughout the album, it's been very honest. I would say this is maybe some of the more vulnerable lyrics throughout the album and just kind of struggling with believing and kind of trying to believe and even having trouble saying God's name and like not sure how to even, like, say it, and just that vulnerability of, like, I don't even know what to say or what to do or how to approach this. And I appreciate the rawness of the song. And again, like, track eight, There's been a lot that's happened through the first seven tracks. And so this is like, it feels a little bit more like it's that like break from the normal parts while still having another layer that's added to this, especially lyrically unpacking that. Nate, what are your thoughts?
1: My two main points are, or two main questions. This used to be a just solo random single, I guess you could say, Kevin, from your Mm -hmm. Kevin William stuff. So if you want to listen to Kevin Solo's stuff, he has a new EP under the name Kevin Klein, K-L-E-I-N. So check that out. Anyways, I guess my question is, how do you embrace the process of writing a song and figuring out what to do with it? Totally.
2: Yeah. I think taking songs, and it's, it's a process I'm still figuring out, to be honest but I think right now the main thing is there are most songs you can take and we can make Valley Heart right but I think lyrically I mean this is an example of a song that we didn't take it and we didn't like add drums and add you know drivey bass and like we we kept it very raw and very stripped down but I think lyric like the lyrics it's just a song that I think it needed to be there that just kind of brought a new perspective to the record and you know it kind of introduces in my opinion I guess this third wave of the album and I guess there's like kind Kind of three parts there's like the first three or four tracks where it's like this like introduction and then it's like the middle of the album where it's like these like concepts of, of death, death and life and then the last part of the album which is very religious and kind of got perspective and i think this is a song that kind of really opens up that door well and that just needed to be there so i think it, it was one that Weirdly enough, my solo version of it was actually way more produced and way more like there was a vocal double and there was like a lot of synth stuff in in, in organ. And this one, we we were we were actually initially going to kind of experiment with that but we actually recorded a lot on it and we all came to the decision we just deleted all those tracks and we kept the guitar track and we kept the baritone guitar track and we kept the vocal it's just three tracks and it just kind of offered a space i think for with everything going on on the album with all the production stuff and all just the you know the journey it takes you on i think it's just a place to kind of just kind of breathe for a second listen to what what i'm singing about yeah
1: yeah my second question you just answered was about the production so yeah right good job So I'm going to build off Andrew's take on the lyrics. And there's this overall sentiment of not being able to say God's name or Jesus's name, specifically, I'm guessing. And I noticed that the lyrics are kind of divided into these two portions of both kind of blame. And I don't mean this in a sense of like not taking responsibility, because I think you do in the other portion, but blaming other people. For you not being able to take God's name seriously Mm. when it comes to that pastor and like almost like misrepresenting who God is. And that idea, which is not who God is, is something that you can't respect and kind of actually lose respect for who God actually is. But also there's this ownership where you realize that the way you're living your life creates an inability to say Jesus's name because you know, like, you're not taking him seriously with your actions. And it creates this overall, like, flippancy of, like, it's awkward to say something so pure and so serious and so holy when you're living in this way. And I just noticed kind of that dual focus of blaming others, and rightfully so, but also taking ownership of feeling that way. And you don't need to talk about that if you don't want to, but that was kind of just something I noticed.
2: Yeah, no, I I definitely don't mind. I definitely didn't want to write music or an album that, and this we'll probably bring up in the next song too, but an album that kind of just bashes the church and bashes pastors and preachers. You know, I definitely like have a perspective on it, but if anything, this album is about my own inability to relate spiritually to to God and, and not necessarily about how the church is... F that up, you know. It's it's more just it plays an influence, but it's not an album about like the church is awful and like Christians are awful. Like that that was never my intention from the get-go. It was it was a very introspective album, and even in these moments of like calling people out, I I definitely wanted to be like, hey, I'm equally like I'm I'm part yeah, of it. like this is definitely. about me. So that was kind of you know always kind of my perspective on it and kind of what I a goal I I made sure to do in in, in writing about these these concepts, you know.
1: Yeah. Definitely. So next is intangible dream. are your thoughts on intangible dream
0: yeah when nate and i first listened through the song uh, we kind of did our own listening party through this album together which is always fun Uh, nate was in town and decided to do that together instead of over skype but yeah when we were listening through after the song ended i exclaimed to nate i was like okay that's my favorite song like so far i hadn't heard the last few ones but but up to that point I don't know, there was just something that resonated with me about that song specifically, and I said that was my favorite. Now, the interesting thing is, as we were kind of unpacking earlier, like, the more you listen to something, your views change. So, it's not my overall favorite song, but there is something to the song that, like, resonated very deeply with me as Mm -hmm. I was listening through this, and... And I think the first thing I have written here is just prosperity preachers are assholes, like just like (laughs) that's like all caps, just because I think certain things that you're unpacking through this album of kind of how you see your mother and kind of these relationships and the things that she's a part of. And just questioning kind of the validity of a lot of that, mm. I think, just resonated with me because that's a lot of where my journey has been as well, especially as of late. And and so I think that some of those themes lyrically just resonated with me in a very deep sense. And so definitely appreciate that as far as the lyric writing, everything. I'll get into the music a little bit. The whole groove in the second verse the whole band is kind of playing the groove and it's super tight like obviously how it how it's produced how it's recorded everything it is amazing your voice is still kind of over top that groove and just everything mm-hmm. works works perfect and then later in the song the strings that are in kind of the final instrumental I just think they're the most beautiful strings on the album to me and I just love how it's produced how those kind of stick out there and also kind of the chord structure and hits and kind of abrupt ending like everything that it does musically as far as just the general chord structure is really unique and yeah and I love it so Nate, what were your thoughts?
1: So the more I've listened to the song and thought about it, the more I've realized it's like a love letter to your mom. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, obviously, like there is this deep connection which is threaded throughout the album of like the validity of faith and the reality of faith. And asking, like, is this actually real? And or have I been tricked? Whether intentionally, in certain cases, obviously, like prosperity gospel preacher but or unintentionally by well-intentioned people and by half-truths and things which are kind of real. But at the end of the day, this song, like I'd say the reason why you're so passionate about asking this question of have we been fooled is out of this deep love for your mom and desire for what's best for her. And you see how passionately and genuinely she's living her life and you don't want her to be led astray, I guess, kind of. Mm -hmm. And I guess that kind of like, the older I've gotten, the more aware I am of how amazing my parents are and the love I have for them. And because of mainly the love they have for me. And so it definitely this is a song that has like hit me harder and harder, the more I've kind of tapped into that. I guess my main question is... Like, what's the main difference between the prosperity gospel preachers in this case, or at least people who you believe are like spreading lies to your mom and your mom's faith? Like, how do you see that like correlation or connection? Like, where's the distinction in that?
2: Yeah. So obviously the song is probably the most personal song on the album. I think the difference of where this shit gets really, really messed up is realizing that they play on these people. People that these prosperity gospel people, these day star preachers, you know, there's we all know what, what I'm talking about. They play on people's weakness and vulnerability. And that is the worst type of person in my eyes, you know, and when someone is feeling low and weak and they have nothing left to cling on to instead of pointing them to Jesus or or to to something right that that's fine. But they point to financial remedy and and I don't know, there's just something truly messed up about it all, you know, and I think, you know, I've never been a part of that world and like been about it. it, you know, so it wasn't like a wake up call song. It was just something that it was this pinnacle of like. Like, you know kind of seeing my mother going through a really tough situation and uh like being really weak really vulnerable and like seeing like something in front of her that was so easy to latch onto but that was so fake and bad and this was one of those songs that like I, I wrote the whole thing in one night you know it was like it was just one of those that is just this situation watching it and like kind of being heartbroken by it it was just kind of an expression of that emotion of like screw you guys like fuck you guys like I, I can't believe you're doing this to someone and, and it's not just just about my mom, but it's just about like, in general, there are millions, like millions like of people that still adhere to this ideology and, and, and still genuinely believe in it and and believe that, you know, if they do give 10% today, they will, you know, God will hear their prayers or, you know, this thing they've been praying for, that back pain will get healed. Like it's just something that to to have to know that so many people are being fooled still is, is really disheartening sometimes, but it was just kind of a song expressing that. So.
1: What do you want to talk briefly about the connection between your name and this song too? We don't, you don't even need to talk about it. I think there is, they are very intentionally placed next to each other as well. Oh, like both both yeah. from a lyric connection standpoint, but also instrumentally, I think they work yeah. off another very well.
2: Yeah. This song, Your Name, and Drown Living Waters, they're all in the same key as well. And that was intentional too. They're all in C. I think to kind of have those three coupled together as like a, a general flow, kind of like an idea was intentional from the beginning for sure.
1: So next we have the second and last track, which is Communion. Right there,
3: in the altar room, there was nothing but silence, tears from the pews, as we bow our heads and close our minds, to the rage of religion a fruit of some fun.
1: Okay, Andrew.
0: Yeah, I think uh, one of my favorite parts of this is actually just kind of the vocal layering throughout the song. I think it worked really well together with that. But outside of that, there's just some really good lyrics throughout the song. Yeah, one of my other favorite lyrical parts of this entire album is a line that Nate had pointed out to me, and it just... Also, kind of stuck with me, and it's that at the feet of surrender, there will never be proof, there's just you and you talking about Jesus or God. I think that's just a really good place to kind of realize that you might not always have all the answers, there's still Jesus and there's still God and there's still hope with that. And I think, I think the song in general just feels like. Not that there's not hope throughout some of the other lyrics, but at that point, it really feels like you're just kind of starting to settle on some of these things, not having answers for everything, but kind of settling into like, hey, there's still hope, there's still life to be lived in that lyrically. And I just think it's a great song musically, but especially lyrically for me. Nate, what are your
1: thoughts? I got chills thinking about it just now partially because I'm like just wearing my boxers and it's kind of cold out <laughs> the line where um, you say struggling to play this front that I'm content with existing outside of your love. And, yeah, and I'm, honestly, lear-
2: I'm learning how to I'm play learn- this front.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm learning how to play this front that I'm with content- no, existing outside of your love. Sorry. I-, I just like off the dome, you know, yeah. not- I'm not great with recollecting, <laughs> but It reminded me of like a conversation, Kevin, that we've we had a long time ago. And I don't think I've ever brought this up to you, but where you said, no matter how many doubts I have, I don't know if I'll ever be able to not believe in God. Mm. And for me, it's like when you've experienced like. The love of God, the unconditional love of God, it's something that is so hard to like truly walk away from, no matter how many doubts you have, because despite the emptiness and despite the doubts you might feel in the midst of it, every other option is even more empty and has less hope and gives you less value. But yeah, And then instrumentally, this has always been my favorite track because it's like a wicked nostalgic track that is both a perfect summary of the record and like vocally is just very impressive, Kevin. I feel like throughout the album, you use your vocals as an accompaniment to the instruments. And this is one of the areas where you're just like, even though I love the instruments, you're like, oh, I'm going to like really shine here. I think vocally with especially like the verses and stuff and the harmonies and the chorus. Are those harmonies in the chorus? It's definitely full. Yeah, um, there are harmonies. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's just so so beautifully sung and so beautifully written, and and then it also ties everything together at the end where you bring back the idea from heaven and hell of everyone I've ever loved was there singing Where Does Your Life Lead. And it kind of creates this transition and this pointedness and this focus towards the last track.
2: Yeah, I think Communion was an important track in the listing because I think kind of what Andrew was saying where one of the last lines of the song about at the feet of surrender, there'll never be proof. There's just you, there is this sense of like a brighter more direct hope. And I think musically it's a nostalgic sounding song, but it's also just a little brighter. And with the, the next song coming in with the song before I didn't want to kind of dive into this like like I wanted there to be this like contrast of like it kind of helps you get to that last part of the album without feeling like you just want to jump off a cliff or something you know because like, when I first showed it to the guys they were like oh this is the opener of the album right I'm like no I think it's gonna be at the end and they're like really like it's like yeah I want it to kind of because it has this like really major and like almost like Coldplay sound to it at some points but yeah it was a song that I wrote like two weeks before going into it was the last That was one of the last songs I was written on the album. And uh, I think experimenting with the lyrics was was fun. Just kind of there is direction in it, but it's there's a lot of stuff that's very metaphorical and like kind of lyrics that are way more poetic, I think, in in some ways that aren't so conceptual, but they're just more poetic where there there are other songs on the album that they're very conceptual and like kind of very direct. These like I'm, I'm kind of trying to express an idea, but do it through like some imagery and whatnot. So it was a really fun song to write and especially kind of making it full band with the guys and kind of arranging it was was really, really fun. It was probably my favorite song to write on the album
1: so this is the opportunity to listen to the last track and it is called paradisium So, Andrew, what were your thoughts on Paradiso?
0: Yeah, so it's it's kind of a, a newer, definitely much more fresh take on the song that I heard as as a child a ton, Jesus Loves Me. And Nate had kind of explained the song before we listened to it. And when Nate explained it, he was like, dude, I promise you it's not cheesy. Like, it's really good. I promise you. But I still was like, okay, well, I, I have to listen to it and make up my own opinion because it could <laughs> right. very easily be cheesy. and It'd be super cheesy. Yeah. But luckily... Through the first ten songs, I was like, "Okay, well, I like the album. So if this song sucks, it's still a good album." Uh, yeah, <laughs> but... a lot of songs. So it's not like you even
2: got to skip anything. Right? Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And like, I can just be like, "Okay, I'll just act like that doesn't exist, or like it was a bonus track or something." Yeah. But as I was listening, Nate can attest if he was looking at me, uh, I'm not sure if he was, nice. but I, but I, I basically almost cried through the song just everything about it. So I'm going to kind of nitpick some of the things that I I don't know what specifically would have made me almost cry with it, but just the whole song is really beautiful, yet haunting, and it's super honest and raw at the same time. I love the overall production of the song, the vocals, but there's still like and I'm not sure if this is the case and maybe we'll ask you about it here in a minute, but like feels like it's kind of one take is is the general feel it has there's kind of breathing still left in. A lot of times you try and kind of take out some of those breathing elements to try and make it sound really clean and really polished. But but mm-hmm. in this, you can kind of hear just like you breathing during times. And it just creates that like, it just sounds very honest, like you're kind of just crying out to God in your own way. And I think lyrically, as much as it felt like there could have been the lyrical arc at song 10, when you repeat the line, everyone I've ever loved was there that whole line. I actually feel like this song completes the full lyrical arc even better with kind of tying everything together talking about friends still believing and calling you Kevin kind of back to God and then your own realization that God still loves you and still kind of exists and your your hope in that as well. I just think it's beautiful. I also think and I'm not sure the purpose of this as well. You can speak to this later as well, but there's children's laughter throughout that's like really almost haunting and almost scary listening to it, but it kind of reminds me as well of this idea of childlike faith. I'm not sure if that's what you'd be going for or or not, but but I just love how that at least reminded me of this idea of like childlike faith. There might not always be proof, but just kind of having faith in God as well. I love the song. And again, could have been super cheesy, but it went from like, not sure if it would be the worst song on the album to to one of my favorites. So loved it. Well, Nate, what were your thoughts on them? I can ask you some of these questions more direct, Kevin, about some of yeah, the production, totally. the elements.
1: Yes, yeah, so I remember eating lunch with Kevin And we were talking through the album as he was processing ideas for songs and everything. And he's like, you know, I've had this thing and it's this idea and it's been sitting with me for like two years or whatever. I feel like this is one of... This might, was this even before Heaven and Hell, technically, or right after?
2: I mean, I had the idea, but I, I had no... Like, the arrangement, the the music, I literally had nothing... I didn't, I didn't have any of that written. I just had this idea in some of the lyrics, but I didn't have, like, any solidified thing to it yet. Till like, a few months before we went into the studio.
1: Yeah, kind of like... Andrew is saying, like, you would think I would have learned to like trust you by that point with like seeing you musically throughout the past, like, however many years. It's like you always consistently make great music. And even with that background and context, I was still like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work. And to me, two things that really stick out with that is the ability to make something cliche real when you're honest about Mm it. And second, you and i have talked about this before like good art kind of breaks down barrier and make something that might sound cheesy actually Somebody listens and can really latch on to those ideas because of the art behind it. And I feel like the arrangement you chose to do was done in such a raw, honest, but also artful and thoughtful way that you're able to communicate this idea without an iota of cliche or genericness or anything. But Andrew, if you're going to ask some questions, go for it.
0: So I'll start with like the children's laughter. What was the purpose behind it? What was kind of the heart behind why you put that in there?
2: I mean, I think you you kind of nailed it uh, a little bit with the, the childlike faith thing. A lot of the concepts on the album are also based, they're, like, like I said, they're based on the Dante Inferno book. But a lot of them are based on C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce as well. And um, kind of talking about like how to get into heaven and you know, all these concepts of, of, of heaven and hell in that book as well really played an influence on it. But I think the answer to like a lot of that book, and even in the Bible is like just childlike faith, you know, it's just the awe of what is bigger than yourself and your own, whether it's flaws or doubts or prides, like it's it's just looking like as a child, you're only able to look upward, right? And it's kind of like that notion. So I think the laughter provided that but it also provided this background of of an ominous kind of vibe you know
0: yeah and then as well with that with the vocal recording and production as far as that what was kind of your your hope as far as how the vocals would come across in this song
2: this song was actually really 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 hard to nail down we we actually recorded two different versions and scrapped them because we couldn't get the feel right. And it just wasn't, it wasn't, like, it wasn't making sense. Like even like we did some different stuff with the piano, but with the vocal, it was like we were using the mic we were using for the record, which was this really nice mic. And it was just like, none of us were like loving it. We were like, this isn't working. Like this isn't feeling good. So actually Kevin Billingsley, who co-produced the record, he had this idea and we recorded the record in February. So it was f- freezing cold outside, like frigid. Like we had just had a storm. There was tons of feet of snow outside and he had, there's this mic called the copper phone mic and a lot of artists use it, but use it like a lot of indie artists use it. It's like a $300 mic. It sounds really bad. Like if you literally plug it into your interface, it does not sound good. Actually, it sounds like what you hear in Paradisim because that's, there are no effects on that. Like people, like I think people might listen and think there's like a, you know, a megaphone effector, but it's literally, it's just, that's how the mic sounds. So Kev was like, Hey, Hey, I'm going to, we got a line six wireless pack and connected it to the copper phone. And he's like, I want you to go 50 feet outside into the field. Cause it's in the middle kind of, of nowhere where the studio is. He's like, I want you to sing the song one take in the cold in the field. I said, okay. <laughs> so I bundled up and, uh, we did one take outside and it, that's that take that's on the record. And it just, we went back and listened and everyone just was like, yeah. Like that, that's it. Like it it all, it just made sense because the the emotion of, of kind of being outside of where I belonged or where it was comfortable or like where I had felt good, it just made sense. Just like feeling like kind of, you know, and I think it translates well in the song and it just again it took a while to to get that to get that take to get the sound how we wanted it to and that was all kev's idea he you know he's he's he he did such a good job with the whole album but that specifically i think was one of his best ideas on the record as a producer like he really brought out the best of that and kind of eliciting the emotion in that song
1: and kevin we talked both on this podcast but also about like leaving things kind of open at times. But you and I have also talked about this song specifically and how it actually doesn't leave things open in a certain sense. And where was your intentionality with that?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good thought. I think there is this sense of like people could listen to the album and be like, "Whoa!" Like, well, communion there was such a a, a, a narrowed end to it. Like, why? Like you were saying, Andrew, saying Andrew, why not there? Or like, but I feel like I feel this like- song adds another perspective to the album. Of like, at least for me, there will always be this part of me that not that is darker struggles, but that, that that like it won't always end on like a bookmarked note. Like. Here's like a package, here's the bow on top, here you go. it it leaves it open, but that concept in itself I feel like brings closure. you know it's like you won't always find things to be neatly cut for you. This kind of tail end kind of introduces that idea and like i I, I kind of wanted to to have a part to be like, listen like, things aren't always going to end in cinematic Hollywood fashion, you know? So that's just life, you know? So I think having that there in a way provides even more closure in that sense, you know?
1: Definitely. So before we close, I just wanted to say a few points. Uh, First off, we usually rate all our albums. We're not going to rate this one simply because I feel kind of uncomfortable rating it because I have so much like I've, talk to Kevin throughout the whole process and have grown to love this album in a very unique way and don't think I can like I I don't I don't know it feels kind of like weird for me to rate it just cuz it's like I wouldn't ask Kevin to rate his album and obviously I have this is Kevin's album but still I just feel like so tied to it that I it's hard for me to rate it it's just an album that this is my rating I love it so much and as unbiasedly as possible. It's a rock record that's needed in this day and age. This is a genre-pushing and also a thought-provoking album that is needed in rock today and is also a album that's continuing with a lot of other records to push the boundaries of production and what can be done in the studio but also this is a band that's made an album that's genuine and heartfelt and very relatable in its humanness in that sense that regardless of whether you can align perfectly with everything that the band's saying, which I'm sure you don't, we're all different you can definitely relate to the honesty and searching uh, that goes on in this album, so please check it out if i was to rate it i mean tens down the line but again i don't want to do that so we're gonna talk about favorite songs uh before we close so andrew what's your favorite song it's really hard to pick a favorite
0: song i could pick almost any of these songs if not every single one of them and and make a good argument for why it's better than the rest but for me just the one that hit home the most maybe for me was actually paradisum i think just how it closes out the album is perfect to me the fact that it was done and not cheesy but yet insanely amazing. Uh, to me that's actually my favorite track. I just love it. Now, it's probably not the best song to show someone as a first-time listener. You have to listen through the entire <laughs> the entire album before that song packs the punch that it does, but I think after you've listened through all 10 songs and once you get to track 11, with that song, I think it just packs such a punch and closes the album up. It's it's honestly one of my favorite Closing tracks of of any album, like it's insanely good. So, wow. so I'll choose that. How about you? Nate? Nice.
1: The first time listening to the album when it was recorded, this was my favorite song, and it's been my favorite song ever since. Songs like Drowned in Living Waters has like definitely, like I said earlier, like grown on me a lot. And is probably a close second, but Communion. Just from a lyric, music, vocal standpoint, I mean, it's just an amazing track, and I love it so much. So, Kevin, what about you?
2: Drowned in Living Waters would be my favorite. It's one that I think took the mo- like a lot of time rearranging and, and figuring out a good vibe for, and I think it collaboratively we wrote a lot of those parts together too, as a as a full band. Uh, that like instrumental part, I think, is really unique and the six eight part uh we wrote together as a band and has a lot of cool hits that i think it's a song that is like the most valley, like you could say oh that's valley heart and uh that's something that's cool so that's that that one's my favorite that's awesome
1: available on apple music spotify i mean it's the but please check out valley hearts merch go to a show they're an awesome band live and i know kevin and the rest of the guys in the band would love to talk to you and not only hear your thoughts on the album but also get to know you as a person for who you are and build relationships so please indulge in that this band is great not Simply because of the music they make, but because of the type of people they are and how much love they have, not only for one another, but for everyone in their lives. So please take advantage of that. So Andrew just wants to say goodbye to Kevin. Bye, Kevin. We love Bye. you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you with for this. having me, guys. you this made our long. podcast a lot more interesting. Yeah. Um,
0: oh, I doubt that. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like at this point we've peaked as a podcast. Oh, definitely. And... This is our peak. Oh, no. <laughs> and so. We're going we'll go to come back next week.
1: Like veggie tale puns or something. <laughs> yeah, that sounds
2: that
3: sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. I think so. next
0: week we'll release our podcast and the only thing we'll get is like where was Kevin on this podcast like <laughs> bring him back and so Kevin you have to release music like super have, fast so we can keep yeah. having you All back. All
1: right, cool. Like sounds like a, a pod- deal. A bi-monthly basis. Yeah, A bi
2: bi-weekly.
0: Bi-weekly. Bi-weekly ones, weekly would be say. great. Yeah.
1: Bi-weekly. Cool. Well,
0: thanks again so much for, you, for joining guys. us and for good commentary on the album. It was fun listening through it. A little bit weird to talk through. An album this time with with the person who created the album, but I think it, it creates a really cool duality of, of opinions and everything. So thanks yeah. so much. Yeah, for, it was fun for coming out.
3: Cool. We hope you're Thank humbled Thank you. <laughs> Humble, <laughs> <laughs> like Kendrick. <Heather. laughs>
1: So this is the time of our podcast where we just give you one last thought that we weren't able to share during the podcast. It could be music-related. It doesn't have to be an opportunity for us to get stuff off our chest. So, Andrew, uh, what's your one last thought?
0: Doritos are basically cheese curls in chip form. That was powerful. That was off the top of my
1: head. That was off the dome, you know? And to speak truth that eloquently and that succinctly just from the mind is a gift. Yeah. My yeah. My one last thought is... A joke. I love giving jokes for my one last thought. So, Andrew, what did the yoga instructor say when her landlord tried to evict her? What? Nah, <laughs> 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 Oh,
0: That was not worth the amount of laughing that we just did. <laughs> yes, I was. Hey, man, like, live and die on that hill, man. That That's a good joke. Corny jokes
1: are where it's at, man. Yeah. So, Andrew, there's many places to find us. Do you know where those places are?
0: I do. You can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, and you can even email us for you old folks out there that just just love a good email, use the emails. So you can find us on Instagram at LDLpod. That gives you all our pictures and cool things that we post on there. And then you can also find us on Twitter. I am Andrew. Nate is LDLNate. The email is what is it? Is it long distance long listening? Long
1: distance listening just spelled out normally right. at gmail.com. Sweet. So hit me up if you want to be our first emailer. Yeah. Nate, what album are we going
0: to listen to next week?
1: So we are listening to Void Ripper by the band Animal Flag. Mm. They're a local band from Boston. Ooh. And they're dope. You should listen to them. Well, so they're you're telling it, me to. I'm forcing you to. <laughs> yes, you are. yes, I am. Get that caffeine through your system and get pumped because it's going to be banging
0: so that's a wrap thanks for listening to our very special very different episode with kevin from valley heart definitely check out valley heart go to a show support them in any way that you can and listen next week
3: We're going to Cooperstown, baby!